Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Today, we're talking about another aspect of kingdom consciousness. Where kingdom consciousness really exists, it will produce conviction. It cannot conceal itself. It will be noticeable in any relationship in life. A husband will notice it in his wife. He will be struck with it. It will produce conviction. A wife will be struck with it in her husband, parents and children, children and parents, and in every relationship of life, it will produce conviction. Now, religion is a thing so diverse from the spirit of this world. The kingdom is so opposite to the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Satan that where it really set up in any heart, it must express itself in the life and temper and spirit to enforce conviction wherever it has an opportunity really to manifest itself. If the human soul does not have this consciousness, it will, of course, seek worldly good. To seek for happiness, satisfaction, enjoyment is natural to man. And he will either seek his own selfishly or he will seek the general good unselfishness if the kingdom of god is established in him he is unselfishly devoted to the glory of god and the good of man in this he will find his enjoyment he will find the truest enjoyment and the highest form of enjoyment. In this state of mind, he does not seek his own enjoyment as an end, but he inevitably finds it. In this state of mind, he does not seek his own peace, nor his own joy. In other words, what I'm saying is, these are not the objects of his search, nor the end at which he aims. Yet, he finds them while he does not seek them. But if a man doesn't have this enjoyment, if he does not have happiness in God, he will seek it in the world. It is in vain to shut him up to a truly religious life unless this kingdom 
can be established in his heart. If converts stop short of this consciousness, converts, if they stop short of this consciousness, they are going to turn back. If the soul has this satisfaction in God, it will not go lusting after worldly good because it has found a joy too sublime, too high, too spiritual, too all permeating to leave the mind restless and craving after worldly goods. Amen. It will not lust for worldly pleasure and worldly ways. It will not plead for merely worldly amusement and pastimes and social intercourse. No, it has found the society of God. It has entered into communion with him. It resides in the same palace with the king of kings. It has an altar and a worship and a sanctuary within itself. It is at home when engaged in the worship and service of God. Mm. But deprive the soul of dissatisfaction in God and you can't keep it. It will go abroad inquiring who will show us any good. True converts, when their consciousness has been heightened, will soon learn to watch unto prayer that they may pray in the Holy Ghost and keep themselves in the love of God. Now at first, converts are not aware how easily they can ruin their own peace, how easily they can throw themselves out of sympathy with God, how easily they can bring a cloud over their souls and wound their own spirits. But if they really are converted, they have a, the kingdom of God in consciousness, they will soon learn what wounds, what brings darkness, what stains their union with God, what disturbs their peace, what separates them from that clear and heavenly union without which they cannot live. They will soon learn, listen, they will soon learn the necessity of watchfulness, of much prayerfulness, of engaging as little as is consistent with duty in immoral conversation they will learn to guard against idle words, vain conversation, worldly associations, a misspending of their time, a misuse of their money, a misuse of their tongue. In short, they will learn to gird themselves up and to walk softly with God. They will find this indispensable to their peace, indispensable to their joy, indispensable to their maintaining their righteousness. They will soon learn 
that they must either part with God or part with sin. That they must gird up their loins and live wholly a religious, devoted life or they can never have religious joy and righteousness and peace at all. But where this kingdom does not exist, much prayer is a great burden. Persons are shy of religious conversations. They have no heart to it and labor for souls and with souls is what they can hardly bring themselves to do. It is a real cross to go and labor personally with souls, a real trial, a matter of fearfulness and timidity where the kingdom of God is not truly set up in the soul. Men are ashamed and afraid to go and labor earnestly, earnestly with their neighbors for the salvation of their soul while they themselves are in bondage and have no real experience of what they teach. Even ministers sometimes are ashamed to labor directly and personally with souls if they have not this kingdom consciousness burning within them. If our religion, quote, religion, unquote, is a bondage, void of peace and joy in God, we may warn others of their danger and their guilt. We can commend Christianity to them as a matter of personal prudence, as a thing not to be neglected. Otherwise, they would lose their souls. But we cannot recommend it in such a sense as to draw people out of the world into a present embracing of it. The fact is man wants enjoyment for the present right now. He wants something now to interest him. He wants something that he can now feel, now realize, now interest himself in, and now find some satisfaction in. But if we don't have this peace and joy, all our representations will naturally repel rather than attract the mind. So what do we take it to be? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within you, meaning that it's here, and at hand, meaning that it's now. It's not later, but lighter. Some more subtle quality or dimension of experience accessible to you right in the moment. You don't die into it. You awaken into it. Talking about kingdom consciousness. The kingdom of heaven is really a metaphor for a state of consciousness. It is not a place you go to but a place you come from. It's a whole new way of looking at the world, a transformed awareness that literally turns this world into a different place. The guarantee of this awareness is that it sees no separation 
not between God and humans, not between humans and other humans. And these are indeed two of Jesus's core teachings underlying everything he says and does. When Jesus talks about oneness, what he has in mind is a complete mutual indwelling. I am in God. God is in you. You are in God. We are in each other. His most beautiful symbol for this is in the teaching in John 15, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me as I in you. That's John 15, 4 and 5. And a few minutes later, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. John 15, 9. There is no separation between humans and God because of this mutual intertwining which expresses the indivisible reality of divine love. No separation between human and human is an equally powerful notion and equally challenging. One of the most familiar of Jesus' teaching is love your neighbor as yourself, as a continuation of your very own being. That's what he means, as a continuation of your very own being. It's a complete seeing that your neighbor is really you or an extension of you. This then is kingdom consciousness. God bless you. Have a great day.